This podcast is brought to you by United Bank, the community bank of the nation's capital. This is Let's Have a Drink, a podcast from BizNow Media, where we grab a drink with the people who are shaping real estate in and around Washington, D.C. I'm Ethan Rothstein, BizNow's East Coast editor. Today, we're having a cappuccino with Don Wood, the CEO of Federal Realty Investment Trust. Hey, Don, how's it going? Nice to meet you, man. Yeah, you too. How are you? Good, how are you doing? We're meeting at the Canopy Hotel in Pike and Rose, Federal's big mixed-use development along Rockville Pike in North Bethesda. No, can I just get a, uh, can I just get a cappuccino from you? Be great. Uh, 2% would be great. Uh, do you have, like, green tea? Can I do one of those? Thank you very much. Thank you. Federal is one of the oldest publicly traded real estate trusts in the country. It has major mixed-use developments around D.C., Boston, South Florida, New York, and California. Federal has pioneered suburban mixed-use development, combining retail with offices, apartments, and hotels, starting in the 1990s while its retail peers were still building big-box stores. Don's been the CEO at Federal for nearly two decades. The New Jersey native never had dreams of being a real estate executive, but he's always loved making money. Since I was really young, I love business. I just, any business. Um, ran a landscaping company when I was 16 years old, hired two people and had 24 accounts, sold it um, when, uh, to another local landscaper for the big sum of $10,000. And uh, hey, as a 21-year-old, the time That's, that is not fantastic. Um, sold it and, and went to work for Arthur Anderson. And Arthur Anderson was a really cool place to work because we had all kinds of different accounts, all kinds of different clients, um, and all kinds of different business businesses, including the Trump Organization, mm. which was actually a client of mine. Yeah. I actually left Arthur Anderson to go work for, for, for the Taj Mahal, and I made it 15 months before I was fired and thrown out and escorted out of the building uh, with the opening of the Taj Mahal. Um, but as part of that and part of the whole Arthur Anderson experience, uh, I had real estate clients. Do you have a Trump story that you like to tell? I have 17 Trump stories. <laughs> What's there your favorite? There is not a Trump story that you're going to hear because <laughs> it's the middle of the day, and you'll need at least, you know, four beers uh, before I can give you a Trump story. I'm not, you can try to get me into there. You're not going to do it. While Don is cagey talking about his time with Trump, he is blunt about the state of the retail market. Federal success may be tied to the overall health of retail, but Don knows that the industry has been completely upended and he is not shy about sharing his feelings on it. This country is over-retailed. There is too much retail in this country. A lot of that retail is, is there's not only too much, but, but what's there is not particularly relevant any longer. In most major cities in the country, there is an urbanization trend um, that's undeniable. Federal's only in those urban areas. And by and, and, and first and foremost, in terms of the supply-demand characteristics, while supply exceeds demand in the United States, we are really, really picky. We've never grown by buying other portfolios. We do it one at a time. In the key markets between Boston, Massachusetts, Washington, D.C., Southern Florida, Northern, Coast, uh, Northern California, and Southern California, a little bit in Chicago. That's it. And so in those markets, in places like we're sitting at, at, at Pike and Rose, for example, those places have, have all intensified in terms of 
their population base in terms of um, uh, their affluence uh, over the past 40 years. And so we're not immune to an oversupply situation, but we're able to handle it a whole lot better. That's the supply-demand piece. The second piece is, well, okay, what's the appropriate product type? What's the appropriate uh, answer for the community in which the real estate lies? And that's, that's where we just have not been narrow. Um, a quarter of our company is grocery anchored shopping centers when the community desires that or needs that. A third or a bit more than a third of our company are these larger mixed use um, properties where people live, shop, play, work in a, a pretty cool environment. Um, in many cases, near public transportation like the metro. We have another quarter of our company in large regional centers that draw from 20 and 25 miles um, away. And so those things help to, to insulate federal um, from the large positives and negatives and swings, cyclical swings, uh, to a cyclical business. So is it just because your investors are used to that? Uh, because, I mean, for a lot of companies, I'm sure they would say, like, well, I would love to, to, you know, to build mixed use, and I'd love to do all that, but I, my investors won't let me. First of all, we've been doing it for 25 years. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like track record to create confidence in any investor. REITs need to pay out most, substantially all, of their earnings uh, every year in the form of a dividend. This company has paid out more dividends to its shareholders on a per share basis than anybody, and we've done it for 51 years in a row. That's since 1967. So through 20% interest rates in the late 70s, to wars, to recessions, to everything in between, this portfolio of real estate has been able to, to support increased dividends for shareholders for 51 years. There is not one other REIT of 200 REITs. <laughs> there is not one other that can say that. That level of consistency is critically important. And, and so as we got into mixed use in the 90s, um, it made plenty of mistakes because mixed use is tough. Um, we paid the dumb tax, uh, believe me and, and uh, still learn, doesn't, doesn't mean we do it all right today. But effectively, by developing a team, by creating the, the internal skill sets and internal culture that doesn't just look at a piece of real estate as a shopping center, but looks at it as a piece of real estate, its highest and best use often means that it doesn't just need retail. It should effectively be uh, more than that. The key with mixed use is how to integrate those uses, how to make them all work better. Like anything, from an investor perspective, you've got to get people comfortable that you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Do you still consider yourselves, or, or did you ever consider yourself a retail REIT? I do consider us a, a retail REIT. I did, I do, and I always will. Let me explain that. So the places that we uh, create are, are not generally in the downtown areas. We have nothing in Manhattan. We have very little in the district itself. And so we're that first-ranked suburb. Those first-ranked suburbs, you need to find a way to get people to the place. 
we use retail. That creation of place is something I think we do better than most. Now, once you have people coming because of the place you created, is there an opportunity to have people work here by building office? People live here by building residential. And, and, and so we develop residential and we develop office, as well as hotel. But we only do that in places where we created the environment. We create the environment with retail. So two years ago uh, at a BizNow conference, uh, you were on stage and said, uh, retail sucks right now. And this was- Are you really gonna bring that up? Do you know, <laughs> do you know how much crap I took for, uh, for, for saying that? It, it, it does, it's where I well, started this conversation. That's, well, that's what I was gonna say. It's like, do you still think that Of course two years I do. Later? Supply exceeds demand in the United States of America. That is the definition of a business that is that sucks. Supply exceeds demand. You can't look at just commodity-based stuff. Your stuff has to be special. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is that we do. It, it will take years and years and years to effectively adjust that to whatever the new world is because the new world is not today. We're in the you know, fourth inning of a, uh, of a long ball game in terms of changing consumer preferences and adjustment in terms of, of where the, the supply and demand dynamics um, effectively equal themselves out. But I will say that today, I'll probably say it two years from now, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean every retail business sucks. Mm -hmm. That means you have to, in my view, be far more disciplined, far more special. We do that from the creation of place. Coming up, how Amazon HQ2 impacts Federal's approach to its properties in Arlington, and Don's thoughts on what might happen when this cycle ends. What makes United Bank the community bank of the nation's capital? United Bank puts their customers and communities first. That means listening before developing solutions and aligning their approach with your goals. Combine that with extensive local knowledge and a focus on personal relationships, and it's no wonder Washingtonians choose United Bank. Bankwithunited.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. So let's talk about Pike and Rose. This was not, you know, like with everything else, this is not an obvious bet because it's not downtown Bethesda. It's not... Um, it, you know, it has not been a, a pedestrian-oriented place. You had to really build that and probably and change behavior of the market, which is which is really tough. So, what was the thinking behind this amount of density and this type of development? Well, first of all, it's not about us changing behavior. Uh, behavior is changing us, mm -hmm. and so so being ready to to be able to accept that and to exploit that to be part of that is uh, is is something we've been very aware of for a very long period of time. So when you, you look at the corner of Old Georgetown and Montrose Parkway and Rockville Pike, um, while you know, the mindset uh, has been, yeah, that's the strip that's up by Rockville that's got nothing but um, you know, shopping centers along it. It's certainly not a place for a community. Um, we saw that differently. And, and in fact, I think maybe the ugliest shopping center of all time, Mid-Pike Plaza, was on this piece of land mm -hmm. uh, that we had owned for. Uh, you got some for, competition, though, up and down this. <laughs> we do, we do, <laughs> uh, for, for a long time. But when we saw Bethesda being built out 
to the extent it, it has. Uh, we love Bethesda, downtown Bethesda, obviously. Bethesda Road is really important to us. But it's full. Um, and there's an awful lot of construction. There's an awful lot of, of um, concerns from our perspective that lifestyle, getting around, moving through it, is, is uh, harder than it's ever been and probably will be for a long time. This is a big county. This is an affluent uh, uh, jurisdiction. And it can certainly support more than, than just Bethesda. And, and so where would that be? Where's the logical place? To us, we're sitting in it. And I think that's been proven out in the first four years. We're not pioneering anymore. You own two properties in Arlington within a couple miles of where Amazon is placing 25,000 jobs in their second headquarters. Does that demand driver change what you're doing, change your outlook for those properties, and does it change you know, the way you look at them moving forward? No, um, well, uh, yes to the latter, no to the former. Um, Northern Virginia, has been um, a very good market for us. We own a dozen um, retail real estate properties in Northern Virginia between Fairfax County and Arlington County, as, as you mentioned. I actually think that we've undermanaged those assets. And the reason we've undermanaged those assets, I believe, is because we do it all from here on the Maryland side in Montgomery County. Um, that was the catalyst about a year ago for us to start looking at um, putting another, putting a full service real estate office uh, with vice president, senior vice president, people in, in that office. Um, we just announced that we're doing so um, with an office in Tyson's. And uh, uh, the, the crux of that is not only to take advantage of Amazon, which with or without Amazon, we'd be doing this because that market is extremely vibrant. Job growth is extremely strong. Um, wage growth is, uh, is stronger um, uh, than many of the other markets that we do business in over there. So we want to exploit that and spend some more time over there. We were able to just buy a, uh, a small shopping center that could, with a little bit of luck, be part of something bigger uh, over the years. Conventional wisdom would say that the cycle is going to end, you know, sometime in the next couple of years. So, do you think that we're in for more retail pain? I do think it's more stable than people think. I think, um, I think, basically the the process of of adjusting is a decade long process, and within that decade, there will be better economies, worse economies, etc. But, but, you know. What is happening in boardrooms all around the country, at retailers all around the country, is, is the, the inevitable process of how do we uh, serve our customer, how do we um, you know, provide the level of service that's necessary that wasn't there before. And one by one, those new uh, uh, business plans effectively get implemented. There's trial and error. Some of them work, some of them don't work, some need to be adjusted. That will continue. Um, you'll see some bankruptcies this year. You saw some last year, you'll see some more next year. And so, you know, it really does get down in my view to, to if the only thing you have in your business to be able to be a competitive advantage is price. If the, 
the, if you have to sell at the cheapest, that's, that's just a tough way to go through, uh, go through business cycles. So you're trying to make your particular thing, whatever it is, special so that that consumer, or in our case, because our, our, our uh, customers are tenants, that that tenant will pay more to be in the type of environment that we provide to them. That I, that I don't think changes mm-hmm. uh, over the next few years. What's the most exciting part of your job as you look for the next few years? Oh man, it, it, everything. Um, I love what I do, love what I do. And it's everything from you know building the right team, Tell you right now, within the company, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll retire in the de- next decade, at some point. Well, building the next that next level of, of executive, I love it, um, and that level of training and those level of opportunities we've got for people, uh, which gives me an awful lot of pleasure. Well, Adon, thank you so much. Awesome, man. This, this thank you so much. True Great. pleasure. Miriam Hall is the creator and executive producer of Let's Have a Drink. Its supervising producer is Mark Bonner. Travis Gonzalez is the audio editor.